Our second reading is from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Listen to the word of the Lord. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. In his incomparable book, Just Mercy, civil rights lawyer and death row defendant attorney Brian Stevenson recalls sitting with clients while they were despairing over the things that they had done wrong in their life, the things that had been done unto them. Stevenson writes, whenever things got really bad and they were questioning the value of their lives, I would remind them that each of us is more than the worst thing we've done. I told them that if someone tells a lie, that person is not just a liar. If you take something that doesn't belong to you, you are not just a thief. Even if you kill someone, you are not just a killer. Each of us is more than the worst thing that we've done. That sounds like the gospel to me. And as much as I love and admire Brian, there are situations in which mercy seems impossible. The Joseph story is here to show us that there is no limit to mercy and that forgiveness can be offered to the undeserving. Last week, we saw the beginning of the story of Joseph and his brothers. And today we jump all the way to the end of the story, and a lot has taken place in between. Last we saw, Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. And as we picked up the story today in Genesis 45, more than 20 years have passed. Joseph is no longer a slave. Instead, he is running the entire Egyptian empire. He goes so far as to say, that he is a father to Pharaoh. So yeah, we've missed a lot. Let's review some highlights. Joseph is sold into chattel slavery as a 17-year-old boy, and he becomes a slave to one of the most powerful people in Egypt, a man named Potiphar. But the Lord was with Joseph, even in his slavery. And he flourished in Potiphar's household and became the manager of the entire household. Potiphar's wife sexually assaults Joseph, and he ends up in Pharaoh's prison. 
And over time, Joseph gains the trust of the prison guards, becoming a manager of other prisoners, because the Lord was with Joseph even in prison. After interpreting the dreams of a couple of fellow prisoners, Joseph is eventually brought before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. And Joseph tells Pharaoh that his dreams are a premonition that seven years of an abundant harvest is to be followed by seven years of famine. And so if you want to eat during the seven years of famine, you better start storing up food now. Just like when he was in prison, just like when he was in Potiphar's house before that, Pharaoh makes Joseph the manager of the entire empire. This is the original rags to riches story. And while the Lord was with Joseph in all of these things, the wounds of his trauma still remained. And so the years of abundance are followed by the years of famine, and Joseph's brothers show up in Egypt looking for food. They have no idea that their brother is still alive, much less that he holds their fate in his hands, just as he dreamed would happen when he was a young boy so many years ago. Genesis 42 verse 8 says, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed about them, and he said to them, you are spies. Even as his dreams were coming true, Joseph's trauma remains unhealed. He has some things to work through before we get to the big reveal in chapter 45. Healing takes time, cannot be rushed. Here's the reality. Joseph was traumatized by his brothers, those who by rights should have been protecting him. And forgiving that kind of betrayal is no easy thing. You don't just flip a switch and reconcile with those who wanted to kill you. That's not reconciliation. That's bypassing the hard work of forgiveness. I was disappointed, frustrated, infuriated actually, to see how many commentators tell some version of victim blaming in this story. They suggest that Joseph was an uppity braggart as a young man and that he somehow had it coming to him. This makes me so angry. To see Joseph as somehow bringing his victimization upon himself is no different than asking a woman who's been sexually assaulted, well, what were you wearing? Did you have something to drink that night? Oh, I'm sorry. What does that have to do with whether or not someone was assaulted? See, victim blaming runs deep within us. You might say it's our default mode, because to do otherwise is to upset the power structures. Most often, people are victimized by those who are more powerful than they are. Therefore, when we victim blame, we support the powerful and we further brutalize the victims. Now, we may think ourselves open-minded, right, and say things like, well, you know, there's two sides to every story. That's not always true. 
There are stories that are one-sided. There are some acts that do not need to be justified. They need to be named for what they are, which is just plain wrong. Chattel slavery, sexual assault fall into that category, and Joseph endures both. There's no justification for these actions, not in Joseph's story, not in our family stories, and not in the American story. We need to call a thing what it is. There's no excuse for enslaving one's brother in the ancient world, just as there's no excuse for the continued dehumanization of people of color in our world. In fact, there's never been an excuse. You hear things like, well, it's a different time back then. Can't hold people to the same standards we have today. Okay, fine. Tell me, uh, when was it okay to brutalize, violate, and sell other people's bodies? What, what time was that exactly when that was okay? We need to stop victim blaming. Be willing to call sin, sin. I get a little worked up about these things, if you haven't noticed. You may think that I'm being too harsh to Joseph's brothers in a way that's antithetical to the spirit of this passage, which is about healing and forgiveness. But I'm not. Calling a thing what it is, is integral to the forgiveness process, both for Joseph and for us as well. Forgiveness doesn't begin by brushing over how bad things were. Forgiveness begins with truth-telling. That's exactly what happens to Joseph. In chapter 42, when Joseph thinks his brothers are spies, he overhears them saying to one another, we are clearly guilty for what we did to our brother when we saw that his life was in danger and when he begged us for mercy, but we didn't listen. Upon hearing this, Joseph quickly leaves the room and weeps. It's the first of several ugly cries that Joseph has as he journeys toward forgiveness. One of the most damaging aspects of being victimized is that you can begin to think, maybe I did something to deserve this. So when Joseph hears his brothers admit their guilt, their indifference to his pain, their truth-telling begins to unleash in Joseph a flood of unhealed trauma. After hearing his brothers tell the truth of what they've done, it still takes Joseph a while to forgive. And that is just fine. He's not sure that he can trust them again. And that's as it should be. That's totally fair. See, forgiveness is a process that takes as long as it takes. Sometimes Christians want to bypass the hard work of forgiveness, and, and we end up telling victims, you know, you really ought to forgive that person. But that's not for us to say. Forgiveness is a gift that is freely given to us by God. And we are invited, not compelled, to both receive forgiveness from God and pass it on to others. It is not an obligation. 
It's an invitation to healing. Forgiveness is a gift that we give to ourselves so that we might reframe our trauma into something meaningful. And that meaning cannot be externally applied. It can't be put on you by someone else. It must emerge organically from the victim in the long process of forgiveness. That's what Joseph does in chapter 45. After revealing himself to his brothers, he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. After weeping a flood of tears, Joseph gives meaning to his trauma and forgives his brothers without diminishing the wickedness that they had done. In chapter 50, he says, You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. See, forgiveness tells the truth. You were wrong. There's no justification for what you did. But despite all that you did to diminish me, I'm still here. I am more than a victim. I am Joseph. And even though you meant to harm me, be still my soul. The Lord is on my side, working good. And because of that, I can forgive. This doesn't mean that God somehow secretly arranged for Joseph's slavery and abuse like a marionette master. That, that's saying too much. Joseph recognizes that there is another force at work in the world besides evil. And that is God. And while God does not protect Joseph from anything, God was with Joseph through everything. And that, for him, is enough to forgive. Forgiveness is a gift that we give to ourselves, one that God has freely given to us. It can't be forced or demanded. It can only be freely given. And when we are able to give and receive forgiveness, impossible outcomes sometimes emerge. Abusers and victims can once again be brothers. It doesn't always happen this way, certainly not this side of eternity, but it does happen and can happen. And that is enough to give us hope. Joseph discovers that we are all more than the worst thing that we've ever done. Brian Stevenson writes, the power of just mercy is that it belongs to the undeserving. It's when mercy is least expected that it is most potent, strong enough to break the cycle of victimization and victimhood, retribution and suffering. That's the kind of mercy that God has shown to each one of us. That mercy belongs to you. And it is potent enough to heal. So for all victims, be still thy soul. The Lord is on thy side.
Amen.